1: Oh, hey, sorry. Welcome to Foreign National on full-service radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan in Washington, D.C. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Brunner-Yang, here with the lovely Pixada Knack, and today we have a really amazing special guest who likes to um, fly under the radar and just does amazing things in our community, um, named uh, Mr. Raymond Wong. You can say, please say hello.
2: Hello, everybody.
3: <laughs> Welcome to our show, Foreign National. Thank you for coming today.
1: Sure. Uh, just a little caveat about Foreign National. So, um, I was born in Taiwan, and I immigrated to this um, to this country when I was um, four. Um, and my wife um, is an American-born Cambodian-American. Um, but her sister and her parents came as refugees um, back in the...
3: 81, baby. In
1: 1981. Um, and a little bit about our show is a little bit about identity. How do we identify as Americans, but also how do we still identify with our Asian culture? But it's also people do know me and same as you as a chef, but it's about how does, um, how do, how do the, how do our stories, your story, my wife's story, my story translates to how people view our culture in this country. And then how does it translate to the identity of that food in this country? Um, And whether it's an American thing or a Chinese American thing at the end, we try to end at the same result that it's just a thing that's important to what happens in the landscape here.
3: Yeah, I think um, what we always kind of end at is... Uh, we're all American, and, and what it is is just sort of an evolution of our culture. You know, I think as this generation of Asian Americans, you know, we're always struggling to against the convers. The always the current conversation is always about authenticity, and you know, are you first generation? Are you second-born generation? You know, and especially when it comes down to food, part of you know what well, the conversation that we are always involved in is is you know what is authentic? You know what is what, what, what are the roots? So what we always like to talk about is kind of evolving where that conversation goes and talking about, hey, it's all American now at this point, you know? So here we are.
1: And I will let you do your own introduction, um, and then I can give some story about how we met. But do you mind telling us a little, telling our guests a little bit about yourself? Um, you know, kind of how we came to all of us be in this room together today. Um, and a little bit about your personal story, because I'm definitely
2: interested. Okay, well, I was uh, born about 1956 and uh, born in Hong Kong, uh, immigrated over. My uh, mother brought me over when I was one, and uh, my uh, father uh, met my mother on a uh, prearranged marriage back in China, so he went back to get a wife, and uh, so he started a business here uh in Washington D.C., so once when my mother uh, got her papers clear, uh, she brought me over and um, been in D.C. ever since. And um, and the same neighborhood uh, on Second uh, and Florida Avenue Northwest. So we, uh, my father had a business there and uh, went to school in that area, and we kind of grew up there.
1: What kind of, What kind of business did, was your father's business? Like start starting business here in in Washington D.C.
2: Okay, well, back in uh, back in the '60s, uh, he. Uh, Got a corner joint, and uh, the corner joint was one of those uh, drug stores, those old fashioned drug stores. We have the soda fountain counter, and uh, and they uh, had prescriptions uh, there. So as one of the, he took that place, he bought it and converted it to a, I guess at that time it would be called diner, uh, because uh, they had a we still used the counter. We had American food, sandwiches, and also he put in Chinese food. At that time, they were. not uh, Well, there were very few Chinese restaurants in D.C. You would find most of them in Chinatown. And if you go away from Chinatown, it would be really hard to find one. So he's one of the few Chinese restaurants uh, in D.C. at the time. And this was 2nd and Florida Avenue Northwest? Yep, right in the corner of 2nd and Florida
1: Avenue Northwest.
3: Is it still there?
1: Still there. And what's that building today? Uh, It's my office now. Nice. (laughs) Um and um so I opened in, I opened Tokyo Underground in 2011 and we opened the first week of April and I um per tradition you know I was looking for um Chinese dragon dancers to celebrate our opening but to also bless the building to ward off the evil spirits and it was kind of you know, Tokyo Underground itself, the restaurant, was this exploration for me as I was discovering what it meant to me to be Taiwanese-American. And so I really wanted to have these Chinese da- dragon dancers um, perform and, and do the ritual work um, as a show of my understanding and commitment to what my culture was. And through a mutual friend, I was introduced here to um, Mr. Wong, And um, he came and he had his um, Dragon Dancers perform. And and, um, so that's how we met. And um, it was probably one of the easiest bookings of my life, like three or four, two text messages and a phone call. And that's the way it's been for the last five years. Um, And can you tell me a little bit about your school and what you do and the work that you're doing these days?
2: Okay, well, uh, presently we are uh, uh, in Chinatown in Gallery Place, and uh, working out of the Chinatown Cultural Community Center. So um, we, uh, we teach uh, Tai Chi, Kung Fu, and uh, a Dragon Dance, or a Lion Dance there. And uh, lessons are free to the public. So uh, we got that space rent-free for 30 years, prov- as long as we provide a community service. So uh, that's what we've been doing for a while. And how many years have you been doing this? Uh, I've started when I was, uh, let's see, 1970. 1970, yes. 1970 is when I started. So since 1970,
1: you've been teaching um, martial arts and lion dance and dragon dance here in Washington, D.C.
2: Yes, in Washington, D.C. Uh, it started out in Chinatown. Uh, and then uh, eventually I got my own uh, studio uh and I taught in different universities and and uh and now we're back in Chinatown after they uh, uh revamped the place and put in a new gallery places which where we relocated so we're back in Chinatown now for the next I guess almost 30 years.
3: How did you begin this career in teaching what you teach coming from um, a family where where your business was opening uh, a diner in Chinatown and serving American and Chinese food, and kind of now doing what you're you're doing.
2: Well, you know, it all started when I was a, a teenager. Uh, I, I th- from what I remember, I was looking for something to do during uh, summertime uh, when school was out, and uh, and I and back then, uh, a guy named June Ri he was popular and. Uh, and they had something called TV Guide that everybody get <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> weekly. So he had a lot of advertisements there, you know. And uh, and then at that time, uh, you begin to see martial arts in movies, like se- the, the uh, what you call the secret agent movies. Yeah. But they do judo and stuff <laughs> like that. Uh, so I, I got interested. So I wanted to learn. Uh, I started to go to Juinri, but my mother said, "Hey, there's a." Uh, place that's Chinese run in Chinatown maybe you should go there instead it's closer and they're giving discounts to Chinese people so as <laughs> so I went there and uh been uh doing it ever since nice I think like um
1: I've clearly that was your passion and, and you kind of pursued it and then I mean I think at this point people the three of us in this room I mean like and I'm We've grown up in this area. She grew up in Falls Church. I've been living in the DMV since fifth grade. And we've all just seen this really rapid, um, huge change in our Chinatown here where every year, you know, it's one less store, one less block, a lot more Chinese signs. And it's just kind of evolved into what it's evolved in now where, you know, what is the purpose or the experience of this Chinatown and what is the future of this Chinatown and what is and how does this impact you moving forward for someone that's it's very rare and you moved here when you were so young to find a native Washingtonian sometimes that's experienced so much change in one neighborhood.
2: Well you kind of have to go with the flow because uh, the flow is uh, I guess uh, people refer to it as gentrification or or um, whatever they want to call it, and uh, it's hard to fight against the uh, the energy of money. I mean, everybody around you is after the same thing, and uh, and if you uh, kind of go with the flow of the money, uh, you're going to lose certain things, I and mean, you know, certain things have to be will be pushed out of the way in order to make room for more money to flow f- freely. So. Um, I, um, I'm not against it, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, certain people will be screwed over in order for this, uh, this to happen, for others to benefit. And that, that's just a reality we have to face, okay? And uh, hopefully, uh, if, if one can have a, uh, a vision of seeing things happening in the future, they can do things to hedge against it or be part of the plan. But if they're unable or unwilling or um, do not have the uh, resources to be part of the plan, then I guess these the people will be uh, subjected to the uh, the pitfalls of uh, the, the the gentrification, and that's what's happening worldwide. So uh, I mean, uh, nation uh, community through the community. So uh, back then, back in the sixties or back in the seventies, when I was uh, doing the martial arts, uh, the neighborhood uh, DC was considered uh Uh, drug overrun by drugs you know the crack epidemic and all that so a lot of my students back then were teenagers who had no place to go who was looking for something to do other than sell drugs so uh and back then we didn't have a lot of uh services uh, or outreach programs for these uh, inner city youths so they joined my school and and we didn't charge Mm-hmm. because uh, these people didn't have money to pay so so uh we just gave them something to do and uh the, and luckily the people that i have with me they enjoyed teaching they believed in what they were doing so they volunteered 100 percent of their effort to keep the organization going and teach whoever wants to come to learn and uh and some of the uh members are part of the neighborhood so mm-hmm. they have kids too so so they have a vested interest in it so uh We kept the program going through there, and we just taught people uh, as they come in. And most, like I said, mostly teenagers. Some of them, we were able to uh, give them a new uh, way to go, a way out, or a better way to live. And some of them came and tried it and quit Mm -hmm. and didn't do it and went back to their old ways. But I noticed uh, four or five years later, maybe eight years later, when they grew up and had kids they brought their kids to our class the ones who quit you know <laughs> yeah and uh and that went on until like uh the millennia uh, after the 90s when things really start to change and uh we no longer had these teenagers there because they were all moved out to the suburbs into different parts of the city uh, that's no longer uh the the center of the city where we were and uh and new people uh, emerge, you know, the the, uh, the yuppies and the, uh, yeah. the millennials, as we call them now. And uh, so we just had a totally different crowd. So now we're teaching more Tai Chi and those kind of things versus uh, uh, teenagers. Mm-hmm. I think, like,
1: one of the most interesting things to me is when I married my wife, who comes from, uh, whose family background is Cambodian, and their their desire and the way of life to really integrate their full Cambodian culture into their lifestyle was really evident to me, not just to her family, but to a lot of the Cambodian families I met where culture and remembering culture and participating in the things that were important to their Cambodian-ness um, was something of their everyday life. For me, kind of reflecting on my Chinese background and other Chinese Americans I meet, we're so busy just doing our day-to-day that the rituals and the experience and the stories of just being Chinese to me seems to always be kind of pushed down or easily forgotten because of kind of just, I think the cultural experience of Chinese Americans here. And I think like, um, you know, with the lack of left, really what's left of Chinatown and maybe just Chinese, it seems maybe Chinese Americans in general, not really knowing what to fight for, or how to fight for the remnants of their culture, I think is why maybe some of this is happening.
3: I mean, I, I'll say it is a little bit different. Um, I think with with Cambodians, I think if we compare a little bit of how we grew up, uh, we uh, Cambodians in the Cambodians that that I know is uh, every day are we're. Our Cambodianess revolves around how we work with each other, how we engage with each other. It's it's like the sense of community and communication um, and, and our everyday things that make us very Cambodian, that makes us feel really Cambodian. I, I always notice that Chinese, you know, my Chinese counterparts in school, they're very Americanized in a sense in school. It's, it's like their parents were like, you're here to be American. We want you to take advantage of the opportunity to be an American and really assimilate. But we want you to really value our Chinese culture by putting them in whatever programs they had here in the DMV. So I I noticed a lot of, uh, you know, any of our Chinese friends, they would go to Chinese school or or whatever other activities that a lot of us Cambodians didn't really have access to. Um, So that was always really interesting. Um, Because, you know, even your mom... Eric's mom not your your mom strong <laughs> um, she it, it, I always sense even in in your family that your family is very American but just like for example for a wedding it's like no no no, no. we Chinese got to do it this way this is very important to Chinese people so it's really interesting where you pick and choose um, which parts of your cultures, uh, culture really comes out you know I, it's, it's really interesting that way and this is I think this is why it's I, I, I enjoy really kind of dissecting this a little bit because you know where how how do we value one tradition or 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 really just who we are at the at the end of the day or how that kind of is our perspective on who we are at the end of the day um uh, by the way how do i get my kids into your class mr oh
1: yeah yeah our kids are are ready so uh,
3: (laughs) how young do are your uh, students here in your class and are your classes still free
2: Uh, Yeah, they're still free, and we have a kid's class a few times a week, and uh, we start them as young as three years old. Boom. Oh, done. My
3: daughter's three. Done.
2: So uh, (laughs) what we suggest you do is bring them down to a few sessions to see how they uh, take to the surroundings, because usually uh, kids at three, they like to do what they see. So uh, they see how the, you know, even though they have a, two second attention span uh, if they see enough of the routine eventually they'll follow the routine
3: so you you kind of talked a little bit about how your programs have kind of been flexible you know based on the times that you that you're in um what are your classes like night what you know what are the people like that come to your classes and you know just just the way that eric was talking about how chinatown is changing a lot um where do you envision your school in the next 10 years
2: uh I think we'll still be at the uh, gallery place next 10 years because uh we, we have the space for uh, well they gave us 30 years so we got like about 20 years more yeah yeah so uh and we'll still be there and uh and the class will still be free and uh, uh speaking of the kids class a lot of the kids that come down there they seem to have some type of uh, attention disorder From school and uh, and they uh, and they bring them down so they we can work on that so and uh, and a lot of the kids they have that issue and that's why they're there you know not saying all of them are there for that you know some of them uh, bring their kids down say oh my kids doing kung fu at home when he's watching TV so let's see what he can do here so you know it's a a lot of different uh, people with different reasons and some people some adults take class themselves. So they'll come down and take a class and bring the kid because we have the adult class and the kids' class going on at the same time. So uh, it's a family thing, yeah.
3: Uh, I have to ask about this because um, the reason why Eric did meet you is because of the Chinese dragon dancers that... um, he always requests during very important times during restaurant openings and you know just things that he wants to bless for good luck and, and everything and and again I think that sort of as time has goes and generations goes do you ever? what are your thoughts on I guess the novelty of Chinese dragon dancers and, you're still and really like one
1: of the only Chinese cultural things that I commit to <laughs> out of like all of the things I could commit to it's like okay we have a place opening or it's Chinese New Year or it's Cambodian New Year and it's very important that we do this and I think outside of that I don't really have <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah but
3: but you know in, in Eric's case like he doesn't use it because he, he genuinely is just like oh my god it's a really important time. I really feel like I need some good vibes and some good luck. So it's, he never does it in a way that he just wants to. Oh, let's throw this into the mix and people. I mean, down to the dragon dancers. I mean, there's probably. A, I mean, you can actually tell us what the term is in, in a little bit of the history of it. But everything down to the dances, to the music, to the instruments that you use represents something. Um, you know, so so when you think about, I guess, the novelty of some of these traditions. You know, I think I will. In uh, Eric's sense, he really does actually value. Um, the, the good luck and the energy of, of the dragon dancers. Um, but, you know, even, even we actually have this thing where we're like, oh, God, another Asian night market. Like, are we beyond that now at this point? Do we have to put another Chinese lantern out to 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 have this idea of Asian identity? Um, but in your your case, you know, if, if you that's just something thing that you, you all do but that's you teach you teach the history of it. You there's uh, the representation of what the Chinese dragon dancers um, and really the the, the act and, and the art itself is is what you teach, not just the, the when when people ask you to come and and I don't know if you would even call it performing or uh yeah tell us a little bit about yeah. it you know what is your opinion on that yeah so well, like-
2: okay let me give you a little background on because it, uh, uh, it, it goes back to culture itself right okay uh the chinese are you know of course you know uh, good business people right <laughs> and uh at the same time so there there's a business way of doing things and there's the what you call the holistic way of doing things, all right? So, uh, so the Chinese believe that everything is made up of energy, positive, and negative energy, and uh, seeking the correct balance of positive and negative energy is very important in order for things to run smoothly. Because there's an, if there's an imbalance, then things go wrong and uh, nothing works right. Uh, they may become chaotic. At the end of the day, you say, "Man, I has some bad luck today." So I'm sure we all experience that, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, so. The business side of it, you know, you try to do things correctly. To, to cross your I's, dot your T's, or is it the other way around? Dot your I's, cross your T's, make sure everything is correct, and you uh, might even have a backup plan in case something rolls wrong, wrong and a backup plan for another backup plan. So, like, I'm covered, everything makes sense, all the numbers work, and fine, okay? If everything works right, then everything's good. But the Chinese believe that you got to have a balance of energy because if you don't have that one element of good luck – it doesn't matter how well you prepare things; something's going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. So the the Chinese believe in the spiritual part. They need to cover their spiritual end to make sure that everything is correct. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the uh, 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 the lion dance come in. Many people call it the dragon dance, was actually the lion dance. So as the lion is believed to have the power to drive away negative energy or evil spirits, so that good luck can take place. And that's why it's important for businesses to have this perform. Uh, you got to cover your spiritual end of things and not just the physical and the uh, usual stuff. So that's what it's all about.
1: And this, I mean, obviously people do the lion's dance during Chinese New Year. They do it for holidays. Let's say, what are the appropriate times for the lion dance to be performed?
2: Okay, well, you know, conventions, the beginning of anything. Okay. The beginning. So in Lunar New Year is the beginning of the new year. Got it. So uh, some Chinese uh, believe in the beginning and the end. So uh, for one business establishment, we they'll call us in New Year's Eve just before the New Year is over to close out the year. Mm-hmm. And then we come back on New Year's Day to open the year. So, so if you would really want to get a you know technical and uh, go all, the whole nine yards, you would have two: one to end the year, one to begin the year. But most people just do one to kind of cover both. So, yeah, so uh, so usually a standard procedure, we would come to a uh, business and perform at the front, drive with the evil spirits at the front door. Then we approach the cash register area mm-hmm. or the reception area, do uh, perform there. The bar area and it has a sushi bar, bar there and uh, kitchen. Mm-hmm. All the areas is are vital to bring in money. Mm-hmm. You got to get rid of the evil spirits there, so uh, that's like standard procedure. And it doesn't have to be for Lunar New Year; it could be a, uh, anniversaries, birthdays, uh, buying a, a new house, mm-hmm. uh, starting a new business. So anything that you're trying to start.
3: Do you ever get any requests where you're like, no, 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 that doesn't work. That energy does not work that way. Uh, or does your Chinese businessman part come in, and you're like, oh? Uh,
2: no, the, the Chinese, you know, they, they firmly believe that uh, they, they, they 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 call us in and, uh, to drive away the evil spirits. Yep. Now, however, uh, if you call in a lion dance troupe to come in, and they look like they're clumsy and falling all over the place, and they look incompetent, then you want, you're not going to feel that good. You know, you're gonna. Feel, I don't think these people have the power to drive away my evil spirits. It's just like, uh, let's say you call in a plumber. Yep. He comes to work on your stuff. He breaks something. <laughs> and he drops things all over the place. You go, oh, no. I, we got the wrong plumber here, you know? So, uh, uh, so the performers have to show signs of competence, power, and, uh, you know, uh, the ability to drive away evil spirits. In 19, let's so say you said you started Kung Fu in what, 1970? Uh, 1970,
1: yes. Okay. How many lion dance troops? do you think we're here in the Washington DC area between you know 1970 and like say mid 90s before Chinatown really started to change
2: actually there's quite a few yeah uh but they don't last long because uh uh because anybody can buy a line and a drum mm-hmm. and uh and they just try to get some people to try to do it they uh get some videos and uh but the problem is you have to really practice mm-hmm. every almost every day and uh, and the music alone is like 10 years just to practice the drum. And then the line itself, it takes a lot of time. And it's hard to find people who want to sacrifice that uh, time. And then, uh, you know, it's hard to keep a troupe going because you got to keep so many people uh, practicing all the time in order to do that. Because one show requires at least five to eight people. Mm-hmm. If you're doing one line, if you're doing two lines, then you probably need twelve to fifteen people. So, so it's hard to maintain a group. Um, in your in your in the heyday,
1: what do you think it was?
2: Six troops, twelve troops. Uh, I mean, it, I think it's constantly the the, the same same, yeah. same now because once when one goes out out of business the other one comes back a new one comes, starts so up so
3: it's a matter of quality
2: quality that's the problem okay, okay. because you qu- keep getting these new groups starting up and they got to learn from somewhere so they go on youtube yeah so i guess yeah. it's
3: not even just the quality it's it's like how trained are they you know like-
2: how many of quality
1: exist today
2: on uh, uh
0: very He's, he's
3: about to say none <laughs> <laughs> except yeah i'm mine. not
2: gonna say none <laughs> uh, uh, uh very little because uh, uh again uh it, 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 the purpose is to drive away evil spirits right. in order to drive away evil spirits, you had to train yourself in kung fu so that you can physically and mentally direct the flow of energy. but if you're n- not trained in kung Fu, then y- your lion will look like a puppet show mm-hmm. or like Hello Kitty <laughs> you know so everybody
3: I, loves Hello Kitty yeah, one. but
2: I wouldn't call her to drive away my evil spirits yeah.
3: right um, so you know that said so do you do you come into a space? And you just kind of go with the flow, like literally, you know, the the energy that you feel. Is that how your team kind of goes with the movements? Or like what what dictates the the movements and then the act itself when you're in a space?
2: Okay, well, it depends on uh, if it's just a standard space where there's like yours, which is some steps. Mm-hmm. There's some uh, two sets or of tiny doors.
3: Toky. Tiny Toki. How did you toky. even manage that? Yeah,
2: how'd you get inside Toki Underground? <laughs> uh, we, we, yeah, <laughs> we, we made it work. We, we made it work. Yeah, yeah. So, well, Toki Underground. You know, we uh, uh, we start outside. We bow three times to the front. Okay, Let's clear the spirits from there. Then we go into the hallway. Line goes up those narrow steps, <laughs> and it's really dark. <laughs> and, uh, Trying and, to fall. And we're playing the drum as we're going up the steps. So we got to get somebody to hold it on the front end, and, uh, and the, one person, the drummer has to hold it and play with one hand because it's nominal for two people. <laughs> so uh, once we get upstairs, you got to figure out where to stand. There's no room to stand, so the line just going about. And uh, actually, is kind of easy because there's not a lot of space. Yeah, in and out. So, so, so evil spirits are right there.
3: I <laughs> yeah. think the evil spirits are still there. Yeah, sometimes,
2: right? Yeah, oh yeah, you get new evil spirits moving in. Yeah. Uh, the thing about evil spirits, uh, when you get rid of one, a new one moves in. It's like Ghostbusters. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You you it's it's maintenance. You gotta keep it up. You know. I th- I was wondering,
1: and I was gonna save this question to ask you for this show. Because out of the three businesses that I've done, this is the only one where you lit firecrackers inside. <laughs> I so missed the fire, and I was like, "This must. This place must have extra, extra spirits that needed eradication."
2: Well, there's more room, <laughs>
1: <laughs> more a uh, more
2: area. Whereas Tokyo, you right. can't lit the
1: firecracker,
3: yeah. <laughs> light the place on fire. Yeah. Um, yeah, what would you say is like the most awkward space you've probably been in where all of you are kind of looking at each other and you're like, oh, God, how do we pull this one off? Or, you know, any accidents falling down the stairs or anything?
2: Uh, uh, well, you know, uh, let's see. We've done so many. Uh, um, Probably the White House. You know, <laughs> wow, there's so many things. We you've done the White House. Yes. So many things we cannot do. <laughs> like firecrackers <laughs> uh, yeah and, uh, yeah so many things we could not do and uh we just had to do things by the book and uh like don't go there don't f- go that way and you know and uh stay within this area here uh you cannot face that way oh geez uh, yeah so uh, you know uh
3: you imagine yeah. secret service just like knocking over yeah
2: yeah and someone. uh yeah yeah and uh and we've done a few for uh uh, some it's a few schools for some of the uh, president's children, like the Obamas, you know. Mm-hmm. So we had to uh, maintain a certain distance from. Uh, um, I think her name was Malia. Was, was yep. yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's, when she approached the line to pet it, we had to
3: run the other direction. <laughs> uh, we,
2: yeah, we had to uh, stand a certain way. Got it. Yeah, yeah, and we just had to be careful. You know, don't but, move yeah. too fast. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think like for you know, I I I think it's. Okay, and another just, like, fun fact. In peak season, which is probably typically around Chinese New Year,
2: how many businesses are you doing in one day? Uh, it really depends. If it's a strip mall, it could be as many as 30. <laughs> yeah, but they're, you know, yeah, one way yeah. after the other. But if they're not strip malls, then we could do, like, 10, yeah.
1: And then during the Chinese New Year period... Because you know, typically, you know, it's a long period of time. But people are trying to condense it in a certain day. But obviously, you're kind of booked sometimes on the key day. So maybe that period of time, how many blessings
2: do you think you're doing? Uh, it depends on how far we got to travel. Because sometimes we'll get one in Virginia, mm-hmm. then we got to go to Baltimore, then back in D.C., and then uh, and then back in Virginia again because it's a different time a different place. So it depends on how far apart they are. You know, we try to get them kind of close, but it's kind of hard to do that. You know, because uh, we go on a first come first booking basis. So yeah, the the maximum I say is ten if they're in different spots. But if they're close together, we can squeeze in more. Yeah, and for for the people listening, because obviously you say you can hire the
1: lion dancers for. Um, the beginnings of anything birthdays, anniversaries weddings, businesses baby
3: shower anyone
1: <laughs> stuff like that yes you know the the school functions on donations and um, you know and you can we'll put the information up but you know you should definitely consider booking Mr. Wong and his troupe um, for these special events. I think for me I always go back and forth because of Maketo Maketo is very popular in the corporate world for businesses that are like, hey we want an Asian night market themed party it lets maketo is the space to do it and they come they put the chinese lanterns and they they want the food and the chinese to go containers and at the same time it's like i'm really happy that we can be that place but i'm also like why are we why is it, why is this such a thing and and i think like you know speaking to you i think just the idea of anybody celebrating anything that's just a little bit about of our culture seems to be better than it not to be celebrated at all
2: Yes, you know, we we try to do what we can, but, you know, of course, you know, we have to conduct business as usual to keep things going, keep the doors open, keep people employed. But, you know, we, we uh, you throw out the Chinese food containers, it's interesting, it's cool, in hopes that they'll inquire more. And as mm-hmm. they inquire more, they get to learn about the other things. Exactly. oh, I didn't know it was that deep, you know. Uh, yeah.
3: Yeah. I, I agree. You know, it's like, all right, well, let's figure out why people like this and, and what is the other option that we can provide if it's a matter of us just having this conversation about why this is, you know just for fun or not for fun or if it's appropriation or not appropriation or if you know it's, it's like people if people want to be excited about it you know just like you said like that's always great that's awesome um but you know where do we how do we navigate that conversation to something bigger and to evolve it and beyond chinese lanterns and to-go boxes
1: how many people from your generation you know who were living in chinatown that where your peers and stuff that are still left here doing businesses or, or anything like that
2: uh, less than a handful. everybody's moved on mm-hmm. uh, sold their business, sold their property, and uh, cashing in and uh, and uh, just just a handful you know? so uh, and the few left there, I guess we're trying to maintain the teachings uh, I mean and, and the culture of Chinatown. And uh, the best way we can, you know, so we're the only presence there. So the community center, that's one of the few places in Chinatown now that still exists, that still an outlet for Chinese culture. And uh, uh, Tony Chen, he's been out, uh, down there. He's hung in this since uh, the 80s, you know, mm-hmm. 80s, you know, so he's still down there. Everyone else, all the other places kind of changed hands already. Yep.
3: I mean, we're, we're we're talking about how Chinatown's changed so much. But, you know, do you do you have any children? Do you have family? Do you uh, have
2: a- I have family here. Uh, mm-hmm. We're all in. They all live uh, within two doors from each other. We have houses in the same spot. Oh, okay. Same yeah. neighborhood. Yep.
3: Uh, I mean, I, I was just wondering if you have any nieces, nephews, or kids, and and if they participate in your school.
2: Yes, all my nieces are. Pro- you know, they're members of the organization and. They all uh, perform. Yes? How, how old are they? Uh, well, they're they're in their twenties now. But oh, uh, they started when uh, they were young, uh, eight as young as what five, six years old. So I, I was kind of like their babysitter too at the time. So if you want me to babysit, you need to learn kung fu. So <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's kind of nice. We should get a babysitter that's a kung fu instructor. We're about to get one. We're about to get you. <laughs> um.
1: are, are you ever do Do you have this concern? That's like, what's the next phase though? I mean, I think it's. Like to have this community center that DC decided to invest in during the change of Chinatown is huge, but it's very, seems like it's very heavy relied on the last few of remnants of the people that wanted to stay in Chinatown. But what happens if? you know you want to retire Tony Chen leaves or any of these last few standing members of the community that seem to have fought for the there to just to be something left
3: and and also you know besides the
1: gates and and
3: also you know you're you're not responsible for carrying over Chinese culture in Chinatown or or to the next generations you're just trying to do what you're doing um so yeah I mean
2: do you have hope in your younger generation? <laughs> yes, I have no choice but to have hope in them. And, uh, <laughs> and hopefully uh, things will get carried over and uh, others will continue. And, uh, and and hoping to keep the interest of other people wanting to learn and inquire about Chinese culture. And uh, we just have to bring interest to it. That's all. So whatever we're doing, just keep doing it and bring more interest. That's it. So what you're doing, what you guys do, this radio show... It's part of it, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I think, like, I super appreciate
1: um, that there's something like that that exists in this community that was easy to reach. You know, like, I just, I don't speak Mandarin. And if I do try, it's pretty poor. It's okay.
3: You always know how to order food when we're in
1: Taiwan. That's always good I can order food when we're in Taiwan, yeah. But, you know... Like like I said, this was one thing that was important to me out of all of the cultural things I could do that I'd end up not doing, that it was nice to have—it was actually not nice, just nice, but amazing to have access to something like this. And then also for other people to know that are interested in Chinese culture that everyone has access to this, and you've kind of carried this torch on over the last few decades— and you, people can go to the Chinatown parade and see these lion dances, and say, oh, "I can, ha- I can, I can experience this on my own without it, without this barrier of like it's only for Asian people or Chinese people, and I can't experience it for myself."
2: Yes, yes, and yeah, uh, you know, like you said, you know, we we gotta uh, throw out what's novelty, uh give, uh give them their novelty, and hope the novelty will reel them in. And for more, yeah.
3: Pass out a informational flyer while you're doing the dances. Yeah. Like, oh, here. <laughs> so, out of
1: out of pure coincidence, I think it's pretty amazing that your background and your introduction to this co- into this country is that your father had this diner. Because a part of the show is about food, and we you know we like to always wrap up this show about a little bit about food, and um, we
3: sneak the food in there. somehow. We always
1: sneak it in at the end.
3: Somehow we forget that sometimes it's food related, sometimes it's not.
1: But I think like. <laughs> well, we had a guest, and his father had one of the first Vietnamese restaurants here in Washington, D.C. Adriel's family had a food restaurant mm-hmm. background. And all of these people, just by happenstance, based on something amazing that they're doing today for their community, all of these, um, all of our guests, all had this similar story of this um, food experience being a big part of their upbringing. And um, so. Obviously, you said your dad had this di- this uh, this Little corner, corner store, store that turned into a bit of a diner slash deli and serving American food and some Chinese food. What was Chinese food in 1960? Chinese American food in 1960?
2: Well, Chinese. Well, the American food was American food, right? And the Chinese food uh, uh, was fried rice, mm-hmm. uh, chop suey, yeah, uh, something called yak yakimane. Yeah. And uh maybe some sweet and sour chicken and uh shrimp with lobster sauce, egg foo young, and the egg rolls of course. And uh and that's basically the Chinese food. Uh anything beyond and pepper steak, okay? Anything beyond that they wouldn't know and that's what pretty much was sold to the Americans who would look for Chinese food because if we give them something like uh Uh, stir-fried abalone with bitter melon uh, they wouldn't know what to do with it (laughs) right (laughs) so uh, so it had to be something they're familiar with right and they can like oh well this is beef oh this is a pepper or this is a tomato you know Uh, and this is rice you know so it had to be something like that and um, and everything had a lot of gravy yeah because Americans like gravy. Americans love sauce. <laughs> so, uh,
3: gravy actually just means sauce, right? I'm just, yes. I just gravy want to Yes, gravy sauce. Know. Okay.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, that's how the Chinese food was back then. And everything was in bigger chunks. Uh, they like big chunks. And, uh, and uh, you know, like I said, a lot of sauce. They put a lot of soy sauce on it. So it depends on who your customer base is. So we were in a black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So a lot of soy sauce. And not the Chinese soy sauce, but the American soy sauce is really dark and salty, and you don't really taste that much soybean. Yeah. Uh, it's more like the color. They Also, those yeah.
3: packets don't have a lot of soy sauce, and it. it kind of annoys me when you open it. You need like five of them.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> it's just
3: like liquid salt. You're just yeah. like, where's the actual soy sauce coming yeah. Yeah. out of these? And, I think,
1: uh, and then also you said yakmin, which I think is great, because that's kind of a throwback early Chinese-American dish that... Doesn't really exist
2: anymore. Well, uh, the, the, I can get the history behind that because uh, uh, it may get lost. It started in Norfolk, Virginia. Yep. <laughs> because Norfolk, Virginia had a, a huge military base. Yep. And uh, the, the few Chinese restaurants that were there at the time, well, they, uh, what they, they're op- uh, they're they're operated by uh, the Wong family, which is part of my father's family. Uh-huh. So uh, uh, they had these noodles there, and uh, the reason. The reason why they call it Yakamain is because uh, uh, when they would order, because that was the cheapest thing on the menu, it's just a, noodles with broth mm-hmm. and some garnish with onions and maybe a few slices of meat, and uh, they would order something cheap, uh, give, uh, give me those noodles, so that the, the waiter would yell back to the kitchen, "Yakkamin!" Ya yeah, means one <laughs> yeah, and men you know a noodle, yeah. right,, yeah. so they 're yelling back to the kitchen, so all the uh uh the sailors give me, give me one of those yakamins <laughs> so they begin to call yakamin, yeah, it means one noodle
3: Man, yeah, if we could dissect every chinese American dish and how it started well yakamin it's, it's everything
1: exactly. he said there was chop suey is American, right, and then yeah. which, and then um yakamin is American. I swear egg foo young is American.
2: <laughs> is that correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It started with egg omelet. You know, yeah. they just start with deep fried. Yeah. Same thing, you know. And the chop sui, uh chop sui, uh dap suey uh, in Cantonese, dap suey that means uh, bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they take the bits and pieces of vegetable, throw them all together, stir fry them chop suey <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: have you have you seen that um uh, Netflix documentary? I don't maybe it's not Netflix, for, but it's, it's actually just a documentary. I don't even think searching it's for general toes oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and like just that yeah it's an amazing story
3: the McDonald's where do you chicken, think do you think, do you think it's Taiwan
1: do you think it's mainland do you think it's New York City what's your belief on the general toes origin? You
2: know, you know I don't know see the general toes chicken did not come in until the, the late 80s mm-hmm uh, because before that, there was no General soul. uh, Because before that, it was Hong Kong-style cooking. Mm-hmm. That's because all the the Chinese immigrated from Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Because there was no open border, no uh, 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 open traveling up. from uh, mainland. Right. So you didn't get the Fukanese. You didn't get the Shanghai. You didn't get any of the uh, northern Chinese. You just got the Chinese through Hong Kong. And that's the Cantonese mm-hmm. dishes. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that's where the, uh, it came in. So later on, when they opened the borders, then you started to get things like General Tso's Chicken, Kung Pao, uh, from the other parts of China. What was the day that your dad walked in the kitchen and goes,
1: what the hell is this General Tso's Chicken everyone <laughs> keeps talking about? And then, like, when does that get put on the menu?
2: How does that evolve? Um, <laughs> well, the customers have to evolve to it first. Right. And uh, and our clientele was a neighborhood clientele, so they basically just came to our place. They didn't go anywhere else. Got it. So, uh, I mean, we've kind of heard of General So and all that and Kung Pao, but, uh, you know, it didn't quite enter our uh, neighborhood yet because no one there was asking for it. They just asked for the uh, usual stuff pepper stick, chop suey, fried rice, egg foo young, uh, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but eventually, you know, uh, when the older crowd dies off, uh, then the younger crowd comes in. Then there—that's the general soul crowd. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the and the, the crowd—they died off. Right. So no one orders yakimain anymore. So you go to a, a Chinese carryout now, you'd be lucky if you can find yakimain.
1: Yeah, I think you can only really get in, in maybe port City still. I think maybe a little bit in Norfolk. I think do you no- know about yakimain. Yeah, yeah. In New Orleans yakimain is kind of big deal. They do with ketchup and like gravy. Yeah. Yes. Um.
2: The I. Uh, man,
1: I had a question. I don't know. This is so interesting.
2: Though. But uh, in, the, uh, in the inner city, uh, we're still talking back in 60s, 70s, and 80s, Yakima was like the main thing. It was the cheapest thing on the menu, and everybody liked noodles. Uh, and uh, people who used to get intoxicated would ask for Yakima with extra chicken grease. <laughs> that, hmm, that would definitely so not happy
1: now.
3: <laughs> uh, now that we know you know so much about the origins of Chinese carryouts, we need to do another show because nothing yeah, to gonna, me I is more you... fascinating than the idea of uh, or the stories or Chinese carryouts in inner cities.
1: I think that uh, <laughs> you will be a repeat guest. You, are, you have to be a repeat guest. I hope.
3: Guest.
1: <laughs> My, oh, um, mumbo sauce. Oh.
2: Chinese Chinese, D.C. created? Not created by Chinese. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it was, okay, well, uh, everybody who had been in the uh, carry-out business had some sort of mumbo sauce, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't mumbo sauce. It was from something else that they ran out of. (laughs) Okay, so, uh, again, back in the 60s, 70s, okay? Yep. Okay, uh, well, let's look at D.C., okay? Wings and Things. Yep. It used to be a popular location on 7th and Florida Avenue. 24 hours you go in there uh, people laid out on the floor sleeping uh, overD OD on drugs uh, you know just a lot of, just a lot of things going on in there uh, so uh, uh, but you know I'm sure you ran a restaurant at that time you had to make your own barbecue sauce or whatever okay because back then Sundays everything was closed. It's not like now, everything's open, Sundays yeah. everything was closed, so you did not get your supply during the week, and you ran out of something you're 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 pretty much screwed or you gotta make something mm-hmm. so uh it's about barbecue sauce, open pit mm-hmm. that's the sauce that everybody put on their chicken wings, all right so uh what happened was uh uh it happened on a Sunday they were open you know twenty four hours so they they had to find some sauce they were running out. We're not gonna last till Monday. Let's put some water in it, uh, but that's going to taste too watery. Uh-huh. Uh, let's add some ketchup to build it back up, uh, mm-hmm. but this doesn't have flavor. Mm-hmm. Let's shake some hot sauce in it, okay? Uh, we're getting there. <laughs> it's missing something. Oh, sugar. Okay. um, Not quite. Throw some vinegar in there. Okay, we're getting closer, closer, but it's missing one thing. Uh Square a little mustard in there's a bit uh, square, uh we're getting in there we're getting there <laughs> what
3: else y'all got back there
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, so uh yeah so it started to become I mean it wasn't the same, but it was close, okay, so they used that because they what they did was they stretched out a little bit of barbecue sauce they had with all these other ingredients so they can last till Monday and to restock, and they used this sauce and uh next thing you know uh. Uh, they got their barbecue sauce back in on Monday, restocked. Customers say uh, they ordered some chicken wings t- on oh, Tuesday or whenever. He said, I like that sauce you had Sunday. two days ago. <laughs> what He said, What sauce? That sauce. No, it's just not the same. Oh, he's talking about that mumbo jumbo sauce. <laughs> yeah, because it's mumbo jumbo, they don't know what they threw in there, you know? Yes. Yeah. So right. that's how it started. Mumbo jumbo sauce with mumbo jumbos. So, yeah, uh, yeah you mean that mumbo sauce? Yeah, so that's how the mumbo thing started. Got it. And then now the Chinese are trying to uh uh imitate that uh-huh. with their Chinese uh, technique, of course. Yeah, and uh, you know, and you know, it's, it's, there's some good versions of it. They put the Chinese technology into it. Yeah, <laughs> sweet and sour. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And uh yeah, but that that's that's the story of Mumbo Sauce. Uh go. every every carryout has had their version of Mumbo Sauce at some point when they ran out of things. Yeah.
1: And it, is your family still here, Are you or anybody your members your family still running carryouts here
2: in D C? Uh a few of my uh uh relatives are doing uh carryouts, yeah. Uh uh my family's no longer in it. You know, when I I took over it for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh I had to move on to other things enough. Fourteen-hour days, yeah, yeah. Do you want to shout out any of those carryouts if people want to go check them out?
3: <laughs> He's like, no. no well, they're
2: not in DC. They're uh, out, so gotta Yeah, no problem. Yeah. What do
3: you What do you eat at home then? Growing up on this food, what is like your your go-to?
2: Well, what when my oh, me personally or yeah, the you family? personally,
3: you you personally.
2: Uh, I go out to eat. No, no home cooking. Uh, no, I, I cook at home sometimes. Yeah, uh, it depends on what I'm doing that day. So usually I'm out and about. So, uh, but if I'm home, yeah, I'll cook something. Yeah. Yes.
1: And um, I guess since we're going to kind of wrap it up here a little bit, we always kind of end um, talking about kind of what is your favorite
3: snack. Yeah, I mean, I, to, I got, re- I I got re- a little bit excited in the beginning because you told me that you had that corner store with the snacks and the, like the soda machines and what those are the those that brings me joy what was
1: your after you know you got out you you've you You finished school you're you're going home you're going to your dad's shop and i know the chinese i know my Chinese
3: access to all of that so i'm wondering if you had access to all of those what was what what was your
1: go-to treat when dad was like you can have whatever you want today
2: uh it was a bunch of things i mean it's (laughs) no one thing you know uh uh I would like a chicken wing occasionally. Yeah, with mumbo sauce. All right, <laughs> and then uh, the fries, uh, maybe. You know, because uh, we didn't use regular grease; we use the special Chinese blend, mm-hmm. and uh, that gives flavor to your fries.
3: When do you find out about that, that brothers and sisters? Yeah, that's fries, called real you know fat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, fries. Did you uh, put anything on the fries? Uh, I might put some ketchup. Uh no, nah. uh, but I like him kind of plain. Yeah. What was
1: Dad's mumbo
2: sauce recipe? It was uh, barbecue sauce as the base, open pit. Right. Okay. And then uh, I mean, you don't have to use open pit. There's so many others now, but back in the '60s, open pit was it. You know? Well,
1: if you want to recreate an authentic Wong
2: family mumbo sauce, then we would be doing yeah. Go open. at open pit. Got it as the base. And then, depending on uh, using the Chinese technique, of course, uh, we would boil it, cook it, and uh, and uh, then we would add some water mm-hmm. to give it some volume. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you start putting in the ketchup, uh, balancing out the hot sauce, the mustard. Um, if you want to put lemon, you can. It's really up to you. Ooh. And uh, and you're boil you're simmering this uh, and you you're adjusting it as you're simmering. Mm-hmm. And when you get the desired flavor, that's it. It's it's not really about what you put in, it, it's about the balance of each one. Oh,
3: that's given so the Chinese correct. of you. Yeah. yeah.
1: The positive and negative yeah.
3: energy that is so Chinese of the of you. mumbo the sauce.
2: <laughs> and the balance is supposed to open up your uh, your palate, make you wanna eat more. Got it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> you know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. Well thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. If you want to let the guests know how they can reach you, where the school is, the name of the school, the name of the community center, and we can get that information out. We'll also post it up on um, our podcast header page. But yeah, please just tell the listeners how they can reach you, um, how they can how they can book and experience this wonderful cultural element that you provide to our community.
2: Okay, you can go to our website. It is www.wongpeople.com. So that's Wong W O N G and people.com, and you can find all the information there for classes, lion dance, and everything.
3: Okay, but nobody take my child's slot. That's right. We need
1: <laughs> one for Amara. Um, thank you so much, Sufu. We really appreciate your time. It's a huge honor, um, and thank you for everything that you do for the, ch- for the, for the Asian community here to, to make sure that there's still something for us to relate to, to remind us of our roots as the younger people here get older and start their own families.
2: Thank all right, you. thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio. Broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington DC. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloudcom radio.